0: Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Hope you're ready for today's game plan. Now our game plan is taken from Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he tells the church what we're supposed to be doing. And the first thing we talked about last week is we're here to encounter Christ. And we need to grow in him and learn of him. And so it is all about Jesus Christ and what he means in our life and having that one-on-one encounter with Christ. You first of all have got to know him. And know him personally and individually and have him in your heart and life. This morning we're in phase two and that's our embrace. We have four E's that define who we are at faith assembly of God. And so if we are not on the same page, if we're not on the same team, if we are not united, then we can't win. If the church is divided, if we are not one, if we have stuff against each other, God can't give us spiritual victory over our enemies. We'll never win the game if we're united. Next Sunday, we're going to be talking about the 30 evangelize. And we're going to be taking the, talking about taking the gospel literally all around the world. Now, ladies, let me tell you, next Saturday morning, you can still sign up today. Uh, get your tickets for the ladies' Brunch. Uh, there's a special missionary guest that's going to be there, Christine Arfaro. She is a missionary to Nicaragua, an incredible speaker. You will enjoy her. She will challenge your hearts. There's going to be great food. And so I want to encourage you, get your tickets now. It'll do two things. It'll help us uh, determine our count for how much food to get together. But number two, it'll save you five bucks. So that, that sounds good for everybody. If you wait to buy to the door, it goes up in price. So if you'll sign up today, save yourself some money, help us out. All the ladies from all the campuses are coming together. You'll have a great missions brunch experience next Saturday morning. And then Sunday, we're going to come for a great day in the house of Lord. Let's stand together, turn in your Bible to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Let's look at that huddle today. Let's look at what it means to be one and be on the same page and be unified and be working together and you've got the blueprint for that in the word of God and it's found in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testify to it. And we proclaim to you the eternal life which was from the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Now notice the word fellowship. You're going to see that word fellowship used a lot in 1 John, especially in these first seven verses. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. Everybody say that with me. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, purifies us from all sin. Father, today we thank you for the rich fellowship we can have today. The fellowship that we can have with you, the fellowship that we can have with each other. So I pray today, God, as I open up your word, you'll open up our hearts that we might know how we can live this out in our life so that your blood can cleanse us from every sin. And we'll thank you and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Turn to someone, give them a high five, say, Welcome to the game this morning, and then you may be seated. A famous British writer was leaving Liverpool by ship. And he looked out over the bow of the ship, over the side of the ship, and he realized that uh, there were all kinds of people on the dock who were waving to the people who were on the boat, friends and families and all that. And, And it dawned on that man he had nobody to wave at him. And so he left the side of the boat and he goes running all the way down. He says, I've got to get off the boat for just a moment. And he goes running off the boat and he finds a boy standing along the side there on the dock just watching that big boat getting ready to leave. And he said, here's young man, I want to give you some money if you'll do one thing if you'll wave to me. True story. So he gives him some money. He takes off, runs back on the boat and sure enough when that that boat pulls out there's a little boy down below Waving at that man. That's kind of a sad story, isn't it? It Kind of makes you want to cry. Get the handkerchiefs out today. But nobody likes loneliness. We weren't meant to live this life alone by ourselves. We don't like loneliness. God did not make us that way. All of us want to be wanted. All of us want to feel needed. All of us want to feel like we're some part of something bigger than ourselves, uh, and yet the word of God says we can have genuine fellowship with God, and not only that, it starts with God, but he says we can have fellowship, the Bible says, with one another. That's what I want to talk about is the the root of that fellowship, what that's all about. Jesus promised the disciples in Matthew 28, 20, lo, I am with you always. Isn't it good to know that whatever you're going, wherever you're at, God is with you. What an incredible promise in the word of God. He is always there. He is always with me. Now in his letter that John writes, John explains the secret of our fellowship with God and with one another. Now the word fellowship is used in these first seven verses four times. And so that's kind of the theme of starting out in 1 John is that fellowship we can have with each other. And, and we use it a lot in our Christian vocabulary. We talk a lot about fellowship and faith assembly of God, and it's really important to us and to what we do. And yet sometimes I'm afraid that phrase has become very common to where it now just means kind of eating pizza and going to a game and doing this and doing that. And, we, and it's kind of like everything we do we call fellowship, and, and that's a small part of it, but that's not the essence of what real biblical fellowship is all about. You see, fellowship in the word of God is common participation in the grace of God, in the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the indwelling Holy Spirit that is within us. It all revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. And when he is at the center, then our fellowship can be real. It is Christ's blood that makes us one. It is Christ's sacrifice. It is what Jesus Christ died for. He died to make his body one. And so genuine biblical fellowship that is only through the common shared blood and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, there's a word that we use for this, common. Take it a little further. It's more of a churchy kind of word. It's the word communion. Communion. And at the end of this service today, we're going to share in communion with one another. And it's all about what Christ did for us, yet it's all about the fact that he died to make us one. Fellowship with each other. Fellowship's been very diluted today. Look at verse number three again, if you would. And we're going to, kind of, we're going to work through this passage together in 1 John. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father, and with his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, our human fellowship is based on our fellowship with God. You can't have true biblical fellowship unless you are a right relationship with the Lord. He says, I, I, our fellowship is based around that relationship with him. Turn to John 17. He's writing here, he says in John 17 and verse 20, my prayer is not for them alone, I pray For those who will believe in me through their message. Now he prayed for not just the disciples, but all of us. We're included in this prayer. That all of them may be one. Talking about the body of Christ. Talking about the family of God. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that thou hast gave me, that they may be one, as we are one, I and them, and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity so to, to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He so says, uh, I, want, I want my church, I want those I died for to experience the same kind of oneness that, that Jesus had with his heavenly Father. And he says, by this, all the world will know that we're d- disciples or followers of Jesus Christ. I pray that you may be one. Listen, we cannot be content with an evangelism that doesn't draw people into fellowship with the body of Christ. The end result of our salvation is that he died to make us one. That's why I have a real struggle with people who say, you know what, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, I just don't want to be around his people. I don't want to go to church, I don't want to be a part of what's happening at church, I'll just serve God on my own, at home, with my family, in my living room. That goes against everything Jesus died for. He says, I died to make them one. How can we love one another and care for one another if we're an island out there by ourselves? So our evangelism, our outreach to people should always be with the end result that they will also become a part of the church fellowship or the church body. So we draw them in as a part of our game plan. Nor can we be content with a church life that is superficial camaraderie and that's all there is. And that's the other side of the spectrum. Oh, we all come to church and we shake hands and we put on our smile and we look real good, but there's no real oneness. It's all about superficiality. And so Pastor Craig says, say hello to the person on the other side of the pew and you go shake their hand and that's the last time you see them, it's the last time you talk to them, it's the last time you think about them. And everything in the church, if we are not careful, can become very surface." And that is not true fellowship, and that is not true oneness. This is the reason that when we take communion, and we think about the elements, and we think about what Christ did for us, That is it is so significant a part of our encountering God and worshiping God because it, it celebrates our oneness through Christ Jesus. Listen, I've got the blood of Jesus Christ flowing inside of me. i got his spirit living inside of me, and so do you, and that makes us brothers and sisters in the Lord. We are family. All through Christ Jesus. Now, the question for us today, then, is how can we have this kind of depth of fellowship and this depth of relationship that I'm talking about this morning? And so let's look at God's word together. First of all, I said our fellowship arises out of our relationship with Christ, our relationship with God. And so the first thing we've got to come to, to understand is that it's found in verse number five. <coughs> Excuse me. It says there, God is light. God is is light it all starts out our fellowship all arises out of who god is it's interesting he talks about light in connection with fellowship he says god is light in him is no darkness at all now i want to tell you that's incredible news to those early believers john is writing to They had been used, they had been brought of a pagan society. There was all kinds of idolatry in these Asian cities. uh, And and so they had been taught from youth to worship Zeus or Hermes. You see those gods mentioned in Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 19, they talk about Artemis of the Ephesians. uh, And they had all these myriad of gods and statues they worshipped. But these gods... And if you understood anything about Greek gods, Roman gods, any of that mythology, these gods were all characterized by cheating and by lying, and they were uh, uh, quarrelsome, they were abusive to each other, they were spiteful, they were malignant towards men. They saw their gods as being evil, wicked gods, dark, sinister gods. Black in character, that's how they viewed their gods. And now John writes them, listen to me, I'm gonna tell you about the real God. God is light. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. And when these believers he writes to have passed from darkness into light, it's kind of like the marvelous light shown in their lives in that darkness of all that demonic activity that they had been involved in up till this point. The heavens opened up. And God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. And so he says they have come to know and love the true God who is the light. Now what does that mean, God is light? Light is used in a couple of different ways metaphorically. And I think both of these apply to God and both of these apply to our relationship with one another. And the first is simply this. There's an intellectual kind of light. In other words, Uh, The light is truth. And so when you talk about God as light, you could also say God is truth. Light. Darkness, on the other hand, would kind of relate to ignorance or error. Let me give you a couple of verses real quick that back this up. Number one, he says, the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What is he talking about? Knowledge of the truth. He said the word is a light unto my path. So there is truth, there is knowledge, there is light. He says in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. So in other words, without light there is no vision. There is no understanding. There is no comprehension. And so there is this contrast between darkness and light is between truth, honesty, and dishonesty, or between uh, truth and ignorance, light. Now, the second way light is used in Scripture is morally. There is the moral aspect of light, and so light stands for purity in the Word of God, and darkness stands for evil. And you'll see this many different times in the Word of God. Let me just give you one Scripture, Isaiah 5 and 20. The inhabitants of Judah are so morally perverse that Isaiah writes they call evil good and good evil. And then he says, they put darkness for light and light for darkness. And so, according to the metaphor here, he is saying, he is saying goodness represents light and evil represents darkness. Okay? You see that in the word of God. And so there's a couple ways that you can think about using the term light or morally, or intellectually. Now when he says God is light, light, light can stand by itself. Do you know that? Light is self-existent. It doesn't need its object to shine. It it, it has light particles and light molecules and all the kinds of light stuff. You guys that know about physics understand light can exist apart from whatever it illuminates. It is self-existence, and so it is with God. Uh, but, But let me take it a step further. God is truth, and God is holy. Now remember, if we said light represents intellectual light, God is absolute truth but we also said it has to do with purity, and we shared a few weeks ago, God is absolutely, totally holy. Holy. There is no darkness in him whatsoever. He is absolute truth. He is absolute holiness. Now, jump down to verse number six and seven. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness... We lie and do not live by the truth. There's the idea of truth and light. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' His Son purifies us from all sin. So he says the key to true biblical fellowship is to walk in the light. And if we don't walk in the light, I can talk about unity. I can talk about uh, coming together and our oneness and who we are in Christ Jesus. But I can't have true fellowship with you, the Bible says, unless I walk in the light. What does that mean? It means the same thing I use for God. It means we must walk in truth and obedience. And when I walk in truth, in the light, I walk in obedience Holiness, purity, then I can have fellowship with you. I walk in the light as he is in the light. There's a key phrase in 1 John. Look at it. You'll find it in verse 6. It says in the NIV, it says, if we claim. It says in the King James Version, if we say. He says it three times. He says it in verse number 6. You'll see it in verse number 8 you'll see it in verse number 10 if we say if we say if we say this and that and this and that he's he, he's given a picture of a guy who is living a dishonest life who says all the right things but he's not living it out if we say he's a phony he's a hypocrite He's playing a role or acting out a part. And so if a man is only an actor, if he says one thing and lives another, we can't have fellowship with God or man if we're not totally honest and walk in the light. I've got to walk with you in honesty and integrity. I can't have fellowship with you if I'm saying one thing and living another thing. That breaks my fellowship if I walk in the light as he is in the light, his blood cleanses me and we have fellowship with one another. That is impossible if I'm putting on my false face. If I'm a phony. If I'm a hypocrite. I've got to be totally honest to have true biblical fellowship. Otherwise, I'm not in the light. Okay? Now, let me show you three ways we've got to be honest. Number one, we've got to be honest with others. Am I truly honest with others? I I read in verse 7 if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And so, am I honest in my dealings? Am I walking in the light with one another, with, with you guys? Are we honest with each other? Here's the problem we come to church, we want everybody to think we're so spiritual. We put on the face and we put on the smile and we shake the hands and we got this junk going on in our life and it keeps going on in our life because we never reveal it. We never let the light shine on that. We keep that in the dark closets of our heart so no one will see or know, but I can't have genuine fellowship until that's dealt with. And so it's walking in honesty in all of my relationships. Uh, uh, We try to make others think we're something we are really not. Walking in the light means uh, I walk in reality, not in darkness. There can be no fellowship, no genuine biblical fellowship, listen to me, apart from openness and honesty. It can't happen. Now what happens is A person who is dishonest with others, there's some things that's going to mess up their lives. Their their, their prayer life becomes empty because they're being a hypocrite. Their worship becomes a dull routine and they come into church and instead of engaging God in worship and encountering his presence, what we do is we just, because we're not living the life. So I can't raise my lift up holy hands because my heart's so dark. I'm dishonest. And it becomes incre- you become increasingly critical of other people. Because I'm not right myself, because I've been living this lie. I start gossiping, I start talking about other people, I start finding all the faults in their lives. He says in Romans, beware lest you judge other people, because you yourselves do the very same thing. And so so dishonest people with others become very critical of other people, hard on other people, very judgmental on other people. And then they start staying away from church altogether because they become very uncomfortable in church. Because we come in and we encounter the presence of God. And God's in the house at faith assembly. And there's a great explosion of worship and praise. And the word of God, I'm going to preach it and it's going to be kill you guys it's 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 stepping all over your toes and you're getting angry with me and mad with me because because the word is hurting you but it's truth it's the light we can't we can't gloss over that we can't hide that stuff it's the truth and so he says in second corinthians 6 14 what communion hath light with darkness And so if you allow that darkness, that duplicity, that hypocrisy to remain in your life, uh, then you can never enter into true fellowship because it says there can be no communion between light and darkness. Uh, And a person who is not right with God eventually stops coming to church altogether. That's why when people miss and I know about it, I'll try to give them a call and say, listen, man, what's going on? We've been missing you at Faith Assembly. You're you're not around. If they say, I'm in another church down the road, God bless you, have a great time there. But if they're just out of fellowship, they're in very grave spiritual danger. It's a sign that there's something going on wrong in their lives. Let me see if I can illustrate it for you. A backslidden husband. A man who is walking in spiritual darkness, who is out of fellowship with God, can never enjoy full fellowship with a Christian wife. Now that's your wife. The Bible says you become one flesh. But what fellowship can light have with darkness? And so you have a dilemma. You're in a marriage... And you're supposed to love each other, and you do, probably in the natural, love each other. But you have this wife who's walking in the light, and sometimes men, the the man's walking in the light, and the lady's not. It works both ways, but you have this spouse who is walking in the light. And so, superficially, listen to me, this couple can have companionship, but they can never have true spiritual fellowship, which is the deepest part of who we are. Man is body, soul, and spirit. And so if you are not one spiritually, you can't connect on a spiritual level. You can't have true biblical communion together. Because one's in darkness, one's in light. That's why God is so clear in 2 Corinthians, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And these single guys say, oh, he is so hot. He looks so good. Making so much money makes me feel so happy. Listen, if he don't know Jesus, get out of that relationship. Because the deepest longing of who you are can never be satisfied in your spouse. Now, if you're married to somebody who is unsaved, of course, you pray for them. You believe for their salvation. This is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. You keep interceding and believing God for them. Uh, and through the light that's in you, they can come to know the knowledge of the truth. One problem with dishonesty, and here's the biggest problem. When you're dishonest with other, others and lying to others or living a false life, uh, the, the problem with dishonesty is, is keeping a record of our lies and the pretense is a full-time job. Because it never really happened, you got to make sure your story stays straight. You can't remember who you told this to and who you told that to, and you get tripped up in those lies. Abraham Lincoln made this statement. If a man is going to be a liar he had better have a good memory. When a person uses up all his energy in pretending, he has nothing left for living. And life becomes shallow and tasteless and miserable. A person who pretends not only robs himself of reality, but he will ultimately keep himself from growing spiritually because he's living out of pretense. And his true self is smothered then under the false self. and The false self begins to take over. Paul writes to Philippians, and he he has a prayer for the Philippians in chapter 1. And part of that prayer, just one little phrase, he uses a very interesting word. He says, I pray that you might be sincere and without offense. Everybody say sincere. I pray that you may be sincere, sincere. That's a very interesting word as you study the epistemology of that word in the Greek language. It literally means it's taken from two words, sinny, S-I-N-E, which means without. Anytime you see the prefix sin in front of another word, it means without. Sarah, which is the the second word in that two words, was the word for wax. And so the word sincere literally meant without wax. You put the two words together. He says, I pray that you might be without wax. What Paul prays. You say, what does that mean? Well, well, the, the Roman sculptors, the artisans in that day, they would make these idols and statues and sculptors out of marble. And when they charred it all out and made this marble statue, many times there would be flaws and imperfections in the marble. So they had a great trick. They would come and put wax and they would put that in all the blemishes of the marble. They'd put that, that, that statue over into the shade. They'd sell that statue to some guy who would go out and put it on his front porch. And what happens? The light and the sunshine would begin to shine on that statue. And, and that that the light shines down on the statue and the wax would begin to melt. And pretty soon the guy looks at it. He's got all these flaws and blemishes in the marble and he gets mad and irate and so true Roman sculptors who were artisans and very talented would put a sign, it would say, Sincera, without wax. This statue has no wax in it whatsoever. And and, and Paul writes to Philippians, I pray that you would be without wax. I pray that you will be sincere and honest and integral, and so what they see is what they get. Not one thing at church and something else in the world. That wax, the light comes up and shines on that statue, shines on your life and all of a sudden, all the hypocrisy comes to light. Part of our game plan at Faith Assembly is our our connect groups. We have connect groups all around the city. We have connection groups at the church. We have connection groups everywhere. But but the reason our groups are so important is It's not that we just come together and eat a sandwich together. We talk about the word. We talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. We pray for each other. We lift each other up. We hold each other accountable. We're open and honest. We share our difficulties. We share our hurts. We share our pain. And we comfort one another. And and lives are growing and lives are being changed through our life groups. If you want to move beyond the surface into true fellowship with fellow members of the body of Christ. I want to encourage you, find a group to get involved in. Many of them meet on Wednesday, some on Tuesday, some on Thursday, some meet here at the church. Uh, There's all kinds of groups going on, men's fraternity, ladies' sisterhood, but it is all about being real. Unless we're honest with others, we can't have true fellowship. Number two, we've got to be honest with ourselves. Honest with ourselves. Look at verse number eight. Very interesting phrase. If we claim, there's that expression again, or if we say we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. It is possible to not be honest with your own self. We say, I haven't sinned. I'm okay. Nothing wrong with me. We are lying to ourselves, he says, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The problem happens, it moves from lying to others, but what happens is we live a life, we live a lie so long, we lie to everybody else around us so long, we put on such a good show that after a while, you begin to believe it. It moves from deceiving others to deceiving ourselves. You see the progression? You deceive yourselves, and the truth is no longer in us. It's possible for a believer to live in sin, yet convince everybody else he's okay, and in doing that, he justifies and rationalizes and convinces himself. Hey, I'm okay. Everybody else is doing it. David, it's a Interesting progression, and I'm gonna, i gonna—I got to be quick here. I'll tell you the story. David sees Bathsheba, King David. He's king of, uh, of, of all Israel. He sees Bathsheba on the roof, and he lusts after her, and uh, he wants her, and her, she's married, and her husband's out on the battlefield, and he brings her into himself, and they have intercourse together. Now, that all that cover-up may have seemed fine. One big problem, though, she gets pregnant, and you can't cover that up so he proceeds in his dishonesty he proceeds in his darkness he goes even lower and he tries to bring Uriah back and tries to get him drunk and tries to get him to sleep with his wife hopefully it's close enough and they lose count of the months no one will ever know they'll think it's Uriah's kid but he refuses to do that how can I do this thing when my soldiers are out on the battlefield and he refuses to go in and sleep with his own wife and so David sends a letter out, and the deception just kind of gets grows and grows, and gets bigger and bigger. It's, it's, it's like it's worse than any movie you'd see on Hollywood. It's vile. He says, send Uriah to the front lines and get him up there right underneath the walls, and when he gets close to the enemy fire, back everybody else out of there and leave Uriah by himself. He'll surely be struck down.
1: And I don't know. Yeah, he
0: may have been struck down, the enemy, uh, Joab might have been sitting in the background with a guy with an arrow just in case he didn't get hit. Shot him in the back. I don't know what happened, but he's killed on the battlefield. Dies. And and David, he's got it made now. Uriah's gone. He'll take the grieving widow. He'll put on the charade. He'll bring her into the palace. He'll love on her. This is the lady I'm going to take care of because she's lost her husband and she's a grieving widow and I'll pick up the slack here. He brings her unto himself. Nathan comes in, and this is, this is where he's been deceiving others. But it goes to another level. And I, I want to, I, just, I, I, I think we've got time. Turn, turn back to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan comes in, he tells him a story. And Nathan's a prophet, and he points at David, and he says, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Aren't you glad God still sends messengers our way? And when he came to him, he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a large number of sheep and cattle. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. He had bought. He raised it. Look, at, look how, how, how Nathan just sucks him in. He raised this ewe lamb. He grew it up with his children. Oh, you can't kill the children's pet. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Some of you got dogs like that. You think your dogs, your little lap dog is your son or daughter. Treat them better sometimes. But anyway... Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, uh, the man who did this deserves to die. David had gotten so embroiled in the deception, he's moved from deceiving others. Now he's deceived himself. He doesn't even recognize himself in the story. It's exactly what he did when he took Uriah the Hittite's life. He deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan said to him, You are the man. You see, it's very dangerous, people, listen to me, when we move from deceiving others and, in, and we become so ingrained in who we are that we start this whole course of self-deception. The process starts. It starts by telling a few lies and then we end up being a liar and it becomes a part of our character. And we've lied so much to get out of our jams that we just now are Liars. There is so little honesty in America today. And everybody lies to get out of a mess. And one lie adds to another, adds to another, until it becomes a part of our character and we begin to live out that lie. And the evil deeds that we do seek the cover of darkness. David tried to cover his sin, but listen to me. It cost him his health, it cost him his joy, it cost him his family and almost his kingdom. I don't have time to give you all the details. Listen to Proverbs 28:18 or 28:13. He that covers sin shall not prosper now listen to me church listen to me if you want to enjoy life you want to enjoy it to the fullest first john 1 9 and he puts it right here in this passage if we confess our sins if we bring it out into the light if we agree with god that i am a sinner he is faithful and just to forgive us and when he does that he returns unto us the joy of our salvation honesty And then the third dishonesty, the third kind of honesty we must have in order to have true fellowship with God and with one another is honest with God. Now, it's ironic because you think, how can you ever deceive God? But Listen to verse 10. If we claim, there's that if we say, if we claim. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word has no place in our hearts. Now the deception has reached its absolute pinnacle until where you're trying to make God out to be a liar, you're trying to deceive God. And he says when you have reach that point, his word no longer has place in your heart and life. You are trying to make God out to be a liar, and you do that by contradicting God's word. Now let me show you how it works. He says here, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says in verse, uh, if, we claim, uh, if we claim we have not sinned, if we say I've never sinned, this is not a sin, it's okay, everybody else is doing it, we make God out to be a liar and his word is null and void in our lives. Now here's the problem. The Bible says all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. But if I maintain that I am an exception to the rule that I'm okay, there's nothing wrong with me I'm a pretty special guy. God's lucky to have me. What we are saying, in effect, is the word of God applies to everybody else. It just doesn't apply to me. And so we get into this whole situational ethics thing. So we sit through services. We come to church on Sunday morning. We've already put our great smiles on. We're already looking good. And we sit there and we hear pastor preach a message. And it's pouring out his heart and his guts. He's opening up the word of God and he's explaining the scripture line upon line. And we sit there and say, boy, I wish so-and-so were here. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands today. Some of you have already thought that. Oh, he's going so good that I wish so-and-so could have heard that. Isn't that what we do? Aren't we just hilarious? Aren't we crazy? I wish so-and-so could have heard that message today. Oh, they just could have been here. And we think it applies to everybody else. And we don't apply it to our lives. When you reach that level... You are attempting to deceive God by your action and reaction to the word of God. And what happens is we usually become very critical of everybody else. We get caught up in the Matthew, the speck surgery syndrome, where I'm trying to surgically remove the speck out of my brother's eyes, and I don't even see the logs in my own eyes. Verse 6, he talks about truth and light. He says in verse 6, we stop doing the truth when we deceive others. Verse 8, he says the truth is not in us. Verse 10, he says we literally turn the truth into a lie. And so we manipulate the word and say it doesn't apply to me. And yet John 17, 17 says thy word is truth. I don't know if I should go there or not. The first symptom of walking in darkness is you lose the blessing of the word of God in your life. The word is not in us. The word's not there. It has no place in our lives. And as a result, when we lose the presence of the word in our life, we lose fellowship with God and then fellowship with God's people. But when we trust God and we trust his word, the Bible says in 1 Peter 1 and 4, we become partakers of his divine nature. The word partaker is the same word, root word in the Greek language is, is the word for fellowship. Are you, is it coming together? So he says, and walk in the light. So I walk in honesty and truth. The second thing is I gotta walk in obedience. Jump to uh, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 3. I've got to hurry. We know that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And there it says that phrase again. And the truth is not in him. So when I'm not living in honesty, the truth's not in me. When I'm not living in obedience... The truth is not in me. Both things are implied by that word light. Intellectual purity, moral purity. Are you tracking with me? And so now we, we have must also walk in obedience. Obedience to God's word, he says, is proof of our love for God. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so the proof of your love is not what you say, it's what you do. Now, let me, let me talk to you just a moment. I'm going to give you three levels of obedience. Jot this down. I know I'm teaching a little bit more today, but, but just stay with me. Three levels of obedience. Number one, you, it's the, I, obey, oh, I obey because I have to. And that's, that's the kind of obedience you see a slave gives to his master. And if, if I don't obey him, I'll get whipped. I'll get beaten. And so that's the first lowest level of obedience. The second level of obedience is I need to. And that's you guys that go to work every day, and you may not like your job, but you need to work because you need a paycheck to take care of your family. And so I need to obey, I need to do a good job so I can take care of my family. That's I need to, but the real mark of of maturity and the, the highest level of obedience is I want to. Want to is I obey God out of relationship to him. And because I love God and because he loves me, I long to obey him. I want to obey him. It's out of relationship. John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Now the way we first learn to children follows these same three patterns. As a child, you learn how to obey because if you don't, you're going to get a whipping. And so parents, uh, so the child learns how to obey because he doesn't want to get that swat. And as we grow up, we learn to obey because of the reward I get. And so if I obey, I get certain things. I get my allowance, I get my rewards, I get certain things. But the mark of real maturity is love for God. Now here's the problem. Baby Christians... Have got to constantly be warned about punishment and judgment or about rewards before they obey. So I've got to stand up here and I've got to say to every baby in Christ: okay, listen, if you don't do this, this is gonna to happen to you. If you do this, this will happen good to you. And so, so so it becomes punishment and reward. It becomes religion. Mature Christians obey. Because I love God. And that's good enough for me. And I have a relationship with God. And you move on from immaturity to maturity because you love the Lord. Mature Christians listen to God's word and they want to obey God's word because they are mature in him simply because we love him. So walking in the light, let me sum it up, involves honesty and obedience and the catalyst that keeps it together is our love for God. Honesty, and obedience, and love. It produces two things. He says, if we walk in the light, number one, we have fellowship with one another. And so our fellowship will grow very rich. We have fellowship with one another. And second thing, he says in verse number four of John, first John one, if we walk in the light, let me read it to you. We write this to make our joy complete. And so the second thing is, it is absolutely the catalyst for joy. Walking in the light, it is the most joyful, fulfilling life you can ever know. It is a wonderful byproduct of our relationship with God. And he says in Psalm 16:11, "In thy presence is fullness of joy. Darkness, sin leads to isolation, leads to loneliness, leads to unhappiness, leads to depression. The pleasures of sin, they trumpet joy, but it is only for a season, it will not last, and in the end, it only produces sorrow. But Jesus Christ said, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. Now everybody in here has got to make a choice. Am I going to accept what Christ did for me? Am I going to enter into his sacrifice? Uh, am I going to put my faith and trust in him uh, and thus then walk in the light? Or am I going to remain in the darkness, cover over my sin, won't confess it, think I'm okay, think I'm all right, make God out to be a liar? You've got a choice to make. What am I going to do with Jesus Christ? What am I going to do with the word I heard today? And when you respond to God's word, God's grace is the key, number one, to our fellowship. It's the key, number two, in 1 John, to our joy, our joy. I write this unto you, that your joy might be complete. You know, I, there's a phrase. I kind of think that's a no-brainer. It's Just kind of a no-brainer. Bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, today I thank you for everybody here this morning. Thank you that you brought them here. Thank you that they came, Lord, to learn more of you, to fellowship with the body of Christ, to be in your presence. I thank you, Lord. But God, there may be people in here today. They've been deceiving other people, everybody thinks they're okay. But God, you see and know. They're deceiving themselves and thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm fine and I'm great and I can keep doing what I'm doing. But your words speak into their heart like a sledgehammer today. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.